Welcome to the Plan Simple Podcast. I am your host, Mia Moran. Moms have the power to change the future, but not if we're stressed out and exhausted. Looking at food, lifestyle, spirituality, and work, the Plan Simple Podcast is for busy moms who want to create a healthier and happier future. Listen in for inspirational conversations and valuable strategies to plan for your best life. Hello, welcome to this episode of the Plan Simple Podcast. I am so excited to have Nadine Greskowiak on the podcast today. Nadine lives in Corvallis, Oregon, which I went there on the book tour last year, and it is a beautiful spot, a beautiful place in our country. She was an emergency trauma critical care nurse for 17 years, and she is now working to educate the public on the crisis that is really happening around undiagnosed gluten intolerance and celiac disease. And Nadine really is an expert educator, speaker, and consultant, and it's so awesome that she has this background of being a nurse. You'll hear in this interview how the technical aspect of everything that she knows from her years in school and her experience as a nurse um, really helps us understand everything about gluten. And I met Nadine last year when I was speaking at a gluten-free expo, and she was speaking there as well. And I just love understanding her whole story. She wrote an amazing book called Donation, which is really her, not like donation, like you donate, but do, D-O-U-G-H, donation, um, which she shares her story of really a late diagnosis of celiac disease and how that played out in her life. And even if you don't have any indication or you're not suspect that you need to get rid of gluten, this is a really great one to listen to. And as a listener of the Plan Simple podcast, what I would ask you to do is listen and think if you think of anyone when you're listening to Nadine explain the different situations where getting rid of gluten is really a great move. I'm almost 100% positive that there's someone who you know who could really use this information, and I would love you to pass this particular podcast on to them or pass Nadine's information along to them because is in her words, this really is a crisis and we can do our part to help make it not such a crisis. All right. Before we dive into the interview, I just have a couple of announcements, not too many. Actually, I have a little story. I have an announcement and a story. So enrollment is closing this week for Flow 365. If I haven't heard from you already, I'm assuming it's not your right time, though we're always getting new listeners. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, I would love you to go check it out. But basically... Flow 365 is based on the planner, our planner that just came out, which is called the Flow Planner. And it's a seasonal 90-day planner that looks at food, lifestyle, spiritual practices, and work all on the same pages so that you really can create a balanced family life. It's had huge impacts in many people's lives, but I've heard over and over again that I wish I had a buddy to do it. I wish I had a little bit more information as I was going along. So I decided to gather a small group of people to go through it for a full year and see what impacts we can have in our life. So I'm super excited for this group. We're kicking off with the first virtual retreat in just two weeks, and I have to send out packages and people are already doing pre-work. So it's sort of like a now or never type thing. So if you're hearing this before um, the weekend and you want to know more, you want to get in, just the best thing to do at this point is email us at mia at plansimplemeals.com. If you want to know more about what I'm even talking about, go to um, plansimplemeals.com slash flow365. Sorry, I forgot that link for a minute, but that's where it is. plansimplemeals.com slash flow365. And you can find that in the show notes if you're driving and you don't want to remember it. Just go back to the show notes later um, or just email me and I'll send you back the link. Mia at plansimplemeals.com. That's pretty easy to remember. And we don't have very many spaces left, but I would take a couple eager people if um, it sounds like a really good fit. 
And yeah, because then we're going to get started and I'm super excited. The flow planner is also available now. And if you are on the email list, you will get a link about that very shortly. I've just been waiting till we had all the systems set up so we can get them out in a timely fashion, but that's ready to go. And so you could also just do this work on your own, which is great too. You could buy two and give one to a friend and you have accountability that way. So I just wanted to share a little vignette. At the end of every episode, I always share three doable changes from the episode. And I just wanted to point that out at the beginning of one episode because I don't, you know, I don't know if you make it always to the end. But I always share three doable changes and it's just meant to take the inspirational content that you hear on the podcast and really put it into action. Now I share three things, but actually what I teach and love people to do is choose one thing a week, one doable change that you really commit to for a week, you schedule for, and you have fun with. Because I find if you just choose one thing that you actually do it. And this is coming from someone who's very multi-passionate and when I want change, I want change and I can pick like 10 things or 20 things that I want to do in a week. And sometimes I can even do them all. But what happens is I find I go, go, go. They don't really fit in. I'm sacrificing other stuff. So by the time the next week comes around, I pretty much revert to like my worst habits because I'm exhausted. I haven't gotten done what I've needed. And I'm feeling defeated. And so then not only do I lose these 10 new habits, but I lose other habits that I've collected along the way. And I'm sort of taken two steps back when, and not many steps forward. So I really, really do believe in this idea of one doable change. And so what I wanted to do is you'll get three at the end of this, and you'll also get at the end of this podcast, how to find um, 101 doable changes. Cause I have a list of 101 changes that I created before I even started doing them per the per podcast episode. So there's lots to choose from and you probably in your gut know the ones that you need to focus on next. But I just wanted to pull out one of my favorite ones and explain what it looks like in work just because I feel like I talk about this very abstractly a lot of times and I sent this out in my email this week and a bunch of people responded really well to it. So I thought I'd talk about it here. So one of my favorite examples of a doable change is having a green smoothie, starting the day with a green smoothie every day for a week. This is one of the biggest, the changes that made the biggest impact in my life personally, eight years ago. I've had a green smoothie every morning, almost every morning since. Um, and I've actually even integrated smoothies into my afternoon as well. I love smoothies. They really make healthy easy for me. And so I just wanted to share with you, if I were to make that a doable change today, what that would look like. So number one, first, what I would do is I would promise myself that I would do this. I would promise myself that I would start each morning with a green smoothie. That's step one. Step two is I would make a list of the things that would make that both possible and more fun in the week ahead. So here's a list of some of the things that might make that list. I might spend 30 minutes on Google finding recipes. That 30 minute part is key, by the way. I might borrow a friend's Vitamix if I don't have a high speed blender of my own just to try it out for a week and make better smoothies. I might make a shopping list based on all those recipes I found on Google. I might make a plan for which one I'm having on which morning and just jot it down on a post-it. I might go to the store to stock up on fruits and veggies. I would make time each morning to blend my drink and enjoy my smoothie. And maybe something that would enter my list is to go to a cafe that makes an amazing green smoothie and enjoy it in a different way. Somebody else made it for me and just look at their ingredients and learn from them and just sit in a cafe and soak up that moment. So there's, as you can see, there's lots of different steps and there's different ways to make it fun. And all those things take a little bit of time. So one of the things that's really important is to, the third step, which is to block out time in your calendar for the things that I made on that list, right? So that is 
what I find is one of the biggest obstacles when I hear people talk about changes they're making is they have this idea of that list and everything that needs to happen, yet their week is already full. There is no time to sit and sip a smoothie. So you might have to wake up a half hour earlier. You might have to get smart in the morning. You might have to make a commitment to sit with your kids while they eat breakfast and sip your green smoothie. And by the way, just because your kids aren't having it, if you're sitting there sipping it, it is like one of the best teachers. I promise you by day five, some Somebody will ask you to taste it. So you have to get these things in your calendar or they won't happen. You'll find an excuse to make it not happen. So that's kind of the three-step process when you pick a doable change. Some of my favorite ones, obviously, are the green smoothie. Um, getting your eight glasses of water a day, that's one that I've had to do work with. I've definitely had that as my doable change more than one week of the year. 10 servings of fruits and veggies daily. That's a fun one to play with. 30 minutes of exercise. A week of healthy snacking as a family if you don't want to feel like you're doing it all for yourself. Another one is choosing a child and choosing a food that you really want them to have and just spend the week like really nurturing that. Like if you have a child who won't eat anything green, like how could you have fun with that for a week? How could you really create the space to make that happen. Because lots of the things that happen with us around food and wellness have to do with the fact that we, we feel rushed, we feel unrelaxed, we feel stressful around that thing. And so it's it makes it harder. And energy is a lot. And it makes when we have that energy, that lack, like this is never going to happen, it makes it harder to do it, to do it well, and to sustain it. All right. That is what I have for you today on Doable Changes. And now I would love you to meet Nadine. Hey, Nadine. Welcome to the Plan Simple Podcast. Thanks for having me, Mia. How are I'm, you? Uh, I'm good. And I'm so excited to have you here. Um, it's funny, actually, today going live is another episode by a nurse. And I, I love talking to you guys. <laughs> I feel like you sit in this amazing place. I don't know. I've just recently, my mom broke her hip and I just love the nurses. You know, it was just so reassuring to be able to talk to somebody at every hour. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about, so you're the gluten-free RN, which I love. So we'll definitely right. get into some gluten-free stuff, but tell me a little bit about how your story and how, cause I know that you're you know, bigger than just gluten-free or emergency room nurse. So how did you get into, how did you find this world of gluten-free? Oh, um, I stumbled in it, into it. I fell into the hole. Um, no, actually I was really sick for, a number, for four, at least four years. Prior okay. to that, I thought I was super healthy and, you know, really had been exposed to many things in the emergency department, just thought I was super healthy. Um, but I got pneumonia and then over four years I developed cyst, um, basically multi-system organ failure and oh then got di diagnosed by accident with celiac disease. And despite the fact that my blood tests were negative and my skin biopsy was negative, I got miraculously better. And so, um, and then I found out I was DQ 2.5 homozygous, so I'm guaranteed to have celiac disease pretty much. But um, I was, once I started to do research, and this was very quickly, I was horrified by what I found out about celiac disease and the misinformation that had been propagated. So my goal was to educate people appropriately, and it still is today, 11 years later. So this was 11 years ago. So you were already in so your adult life. that's how I started. Are you Got there? It. Yeah. Are you there? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Did you lose me or no, did you get on I got, I got you. So, okay. Well, sorry about yeah. that. No worries. So, um, so you, so you got it in your adult life. I mean, you figured it out in your adult life, but if you, oh, yeah. you've always had, we've, I mean, I figured oh, yeah. out my adult life too, but we've always had celiac. So it's sort I of, I think in utero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, for, for me, I figured it out nine years ago. So similar timing after my third sure. child. And uh, it just explained so much. <laughs> it explained exactly. so much of my childhood. I was like, oh, interesting. Yes. No wonder I hated that moment and that moment. Yeah. yeah. And adulthood. And you you look back and you're like, oh, I really wish I would have known sooner because yes. all of these things would have been avoided or I would have done things differently, including my pregnancy. You know, really. Yes. Um, I and did, have... your, did your child end up with celiac as well or no? 
we were good. We we're going to test him again. So okay. he he's 30 now, but, and he gets tested every year. So he won't just go on a gluten-free diet. He's very aware. Um, mm-hmm. But he's waiting for his test to come back positive. Oh, so. interesting. I know. Because yeah, I have three and one, I mean, so far, it's, you know, one who can't eat gluten. Okay. So so you've written this book. That's, Correct. That's called Donation, right? And, and that's that's your book, right? You don't, haven't written multiple books. Uh, we're working on the second one, and that's a cool. scientific textbook of celiac disease. Oh, my gosh. I'm co-authoring that one. Very cool. Yes. So, so tell us a little bit about about what you found because I feel like that's what the book is. So, like, what as you started diving into celiac and understanding what was going on, like, tell us some of the stuff you uncovered and how that informs what you're doing oh, today. Yes. Well, what I found out right away because I got diagnosed um, by accident in October two thousand two thousand six. Now, okay. Wow. Um, But when I started to do research, there really weren't a lot of research papers, but what I did find suggested that it was a worldwide issue. And I also found out that the NIH had a consensus meeting in 2004, and they Mm -hmm. talked about doing a mass screening where they discussed the fact that celiac disease, you know, had been, is grossly underdiagnosed and a public health issue and, uh, we'd potentially been negligent by not looking for it for over 70 years. And they opted not to do that mass screening or the education program that they talked. Oh, excuse me. Or the education program that they talked about. Okay. So they, um, when they opted not to do that and they still haven't done it by the way. Um, there's been some things that have been very questionable going on in the back, on the backside. So okay. I continued to go to all of the conferences internationally and here in the United States to find out, you know, really what's behind all of this, who's making these decisions about mass screenings, not mass screenings and um, education programs, because it's just not getting done. At what percentage of, people like in the u.s now have celiac Ooh, that's do you mean the prevalence or the incidence or do you mean um how many people I guess is how it ma- like so is there so how i guess it's like how many people are diagnosed and how many people do we think like so as you're do you think there's more people that just don't know oh yeah absolutely okay. i think there's a lot of people on a gluten-free diet that don't know they have celiac disease and i run into them all of the time oh interesting But there is also a lot of people that clearly just do not know about celiac disease at all and would never have the option of going on a gluten-free diet or getting tested for it because they just don't know about it. Got it. Okay. So that's a different, that's a very difficult question to answer. Okay. Okay. And then in terms of like gluten in general and people who may or may not have celiac, do you feel like gluten itself can like, tell us a little bit about gluten and, and in sort of figuring out how to take that out. Like, does it help all of us, even if we don't have celiac, you know, what is as yes, as Dr. Fasano has said multiple times to different audiences, no one should be eating gluten. (laughs) Yeah. And I completely agree with that, but when it's a different audience, he somehow doesn't say that all, you know, across the board. Mm-hmm. But I, regardless of whether you have celiac disease proper, the gluten and the gluten proteins, the gliden, actually cause inflammation. Right. So they do trigger the immune systems, whether you have the DQ2 or DQ8 or not. Okay. So Potentially, this is a big deal, especially since we've changed the wheat and we've hybridized it to have 50 to 400 percent more gluten in it because the farmers get more money for that higher gluten content wheat. So there's a lot of environmental factors. There's a lot of epigenetic factors that will make this a big, much bigger deal than it's reported to be. Yeah. And it's fun. I I always encourage people just to try because I feel like it's one of those things you can think about forever. But like, 
if you feel so good after you don't have it, then it's a, true, it's a good yeah. sign that, you know, maybe, maybe it's not the right thing to have. And it sounds so much harder than I think it is in practice. Right. Um, and if it's hard, you're doing it wrong. That's what I tell yeah. people all the time. It's just like, this is not hard. This should be extremely easy. That's why I encourage people to start with like a whole food diet or a paleo type diet where you're just really getting back into touch with what real food is. Yeah, because it's like, it's, let's dive into that a little bit about how it's not hard, because I feel like that's true, and and hard, like, I mean, I feel like it can feel complicated for sure, sure. Um, because it's not necessarily where we came from, but it right. can be, it can be super easy, so, like, I feel like there's all these addictions, maybe, that we have, or habits that we've built up over oh, time, yes. and so that might feel hard, but, like, actually when you put it together, it's actually easier, you know, and it's actually easier because it's, you know, less complex. It's easier on your body. Um, it's less, you get your brain back. Yeah. yeah. And it's less complicated <laughs> to figure out what goes together. Like once you get over that hump, there's probably definitely a hump. Oh, there's for most people, there is a hump or two or seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as you, you know, as our bodies detox and as we learn, as we get our brains back, uh, because there is that addictive component to it. So the gluteomorphins are very well documented scientifically, and those proteins bind with our opioid receptors. So I like to think of uh, our food as the gateway drug to mm -hmm. other things. Maybe the opioid <laughs> uh, crisis could be alleviated if a lot of people went on a gluten-free diet. Mm -hmm. uh, and that has to be considered. So especially if we're addicted to our food, which most Americans are. Yeah. And if, if you talk to people, they'll say, I would never give up my beer and my pizza. Well, think about what those are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. It's like gluten and dairy. Dairy. <laughs> <laughs> and probably yeah. sugar. And sugar. Yeah. So once people break those addictions and they actually get a clear picture of what has happened to them and they get their brain back and they can make more educated decisions and do more research, then it becomes easier. Yeah. So, and then they go, well, you know, then you can start to really critically think about what you're eating and why you're eating it and what is the best thing to help you get healthier faster. Yeah. And it's funny. I so love talking to people like you who know all the, the words, like, you know, cause you're, this is your thing. Like you're looking at the science and that's so not where I, you know, I came from a totally <laughs> different place cause I'm just a designer. Like science oh. was never my thing. And, but it's interesting cause people, you know, say, isn't it like really hard to walk into a party or, you know, this time of year with three little kids, you know, it's like one thing after another. And it's just, it's interesting. It's not hard anymore because I feel really right. good. Right. And I didn't, you know, I didn't, I, it probably was hard at the beginning, but I just feel like you, at some point feeling well and being able to think and all those things are, are way Trump. Um, Oh yeah. You know, the other stuff. And then, you know, I wasn't somebody who had to research the why at the beginning, but it certainly helps now just to understand I'm not crazy. Oh you know, yeah. <laughs> so no, we're not crazy. Trust yeah. me. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, every once in a while, you know, even still doctors sometimes, you know, oh, very like frequently. I had to train my kids just to be like, you know, we have this doctor he's amazing. If something happens, like you break a bone, which actually my son is sitting on the couch right now with a broken leg, oh. a broken foot. But like, if something like that happens, you know, that's why you have it. I was like, but just don't pay attention. <laughs> don't pay attention right. to the nutrition yeah. advice. Cause you know, maybe we don't agree with that. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, because they just don't know. Yeah. For the most part, there's a knowledge deficit yeah. that uh, in the medical community and in, you know, for a large part in the standardly educated dietitian yeah. or RD, yeah. though and, it's changing, but it's taking time. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely taking time. It's interesting. Um, so, and then I know that you talk sometimes also about dairy and the relationship between dairy sure. and gluten. So we, I actually figured out dairy before I figured out gluten for my daughter. Okay. Um, like I took it out because some nice rant like a teacher was like you know 
I have this weird feeling that if you just tried it, it might work. So we took out dairy first and it healed her eczema, which was clearly Shocking. so painful yeah. that yes. she couldn't behave herself. You know, she right. was just in pain. She was this little three-year-old child in pain. Um, and the dairy fixed things really quickly. And it actually wasn't until a good almost a year later that we figured out the gluten part. Sure. So we kind of went in the reverse order, but I know. So, so tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So the gluten and the casein, the protein that's in the milk, they're molecularly okay. very similar. Oh, so okay. yeah. So that's why autistic kids are typically put on a gluten-free casein-free diet Okay, because our bodies read them the same. And if you pay attention, uh, it's the, Autistic kids especially, you'll notice in their diet, they tend to eat uh, grilled cheese sandwiches, mac and cheese, pizza with cheese, pasta with butter, uh, wheat and dairy, wheat and dairy, wheat and dairy. It's because they're narcotizing themselves with their food, basically mm. medicating themselves with their food with a depressant. Interesting. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, it's... The other component to that is that when the, the villi get destroyed in the small intestine, it's the microvilli that get destroyed first. So the okay. microvilli are the ones that excrete the enzymes that break down the sugars in milk. So a lot of people will say they're lactose intolerant. Mm -hmm. It's because those microvilli aren't there to excrete those enzymes to break down the sugar. Okay. So it feeds different microbiome, which produces gas and diarrhea and all kinds of other things potentially, or um, as you mentioned, the eczema, because the eczema is an external expression of what's going on internally. Right. So if your skin looks like that, so do your intestines. Yes. Got it. Wow. <laughs> is it? Yeah. <laughs> is that and what so, you're hoping for? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, okay, so now I'm wondering what our intestines look like, you know, 10 years later, but, um, do, and, but, and all that heal does all that heal over time when you yes. are taking it out? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It takes six months to a year to heal the intestines, depending on how old you are, how much uh, damage is done, the, how much you are excluding gluten, you know, gluten a hundred percent gluten mm -hmm. and dairy. So there's all these factors. Uh, my gluten-free diet now looks way different than it did then and mm -hmm. my diet overall. Uh, so I would heal, heal quicker now it, with the information I know, but yeah. uh, you know, it just, everybody's different. Everybody has a different environment, different exposure or different yeah. uh, access to different gluten-free foods or paleo type foods. Like we're, we're extremely lucky. We live in food utopia. We have you excellent You're farmers. Morgan, right? I know. Yes. yes. So <laughs> you are lucky. <laughs> I, we traveled through Oregon on, a, on my book tour a year ago and oh my gosh, it was just, you know, one amazing like farm stand and farmer's market like you guys and it was yes. winter. Like, I mean, it wasn't even a time when we would have that here <laughs> in New England. Yes. And I just, so that's very lucky. Yeah, we just picked up a quarter of a cow from Farmer Dave, who, you know, basically helped load it in my car. And if I lived closer, he would deliver it to my house. So that's really how close I am to my food. Yes, that's so cool. Um, yeah. and, but I do feel like, so it's interesting because before we figured out anything, it's my middle daughter who has the most food sensitivities. And before we figured out anything about her, because I do think we're born with these things, I was nursing her and it wasn't working out so well. So, so I did take out a bunch of stuff, but at the time, like, I didn't really know anything about nutrition. I didn't figure sure. that out until a little bit later. And so I do remember like just getting gluten-free cookies and, you know, gluten-free bread. Like I was feeling so deprived that right. I was just switching everything out. Now, you know, 10 years later, my philosophy is so much different just because I focus on what I can have, which is like a ton of fruits and veggies and protein. And I feel, you know what I mean? So it's not yeah, like totally. switching out of stuff and I feel so, so great. Yeah. I think it's very different. A lot of people go through that whole paradigm shift where they think they have to replace everything. Yeah. And it's basically, if it's nutrient deficient, like the cookies and everything else, stay away from it. That's what I tell people at this point until, you know, until your intestines heal or, you know, have a little bit of it. But most of us have lived on that stuff for a period of time. Yeah. And it's the products or the replacement stuff. And it's very nutrient deficient and you're still, 
increasing your risk of getting cross-contaminated or contaminated with gluten because it's right. still a product. So, yeah, 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 totally. And if you've ever watched what happens uh, in yeah. one of those places, you're like, oh. Yes. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> now I yes. see. Now I see why the labels read that way. <laughs> yes, they do. Um, all right. So, so of the, and that, that comment on autism is so interesting to me, the self medication me oh, medicating yeah. part because I feel like I hear a lot like I get a lot of people come into the plan simple worlds to um because you know something's going on with a kid yes um and a lot of times we talk ourselves out of that because it feels out of a change because it just feels so hard right um you know, to, to take a child through that, especially, I think, you know, I always actually tell moms then to go back and do it for themselves <laughs> because yeah. oh, I think absolutely. it's hard, it's hard to bring a kid through if we haven't brought ourselves through a process. Right. Um, but is there any, like, do you have any strategies for that? If, because it sounds like you've helped some people through oh, that. Yeah. Um, let, let's, let's go through <laughs> some strategies for that tough, that tough, eater so maybe not necessarily autistic but possibly and just sure. you know a tough case of wanting to eat all the white stuff right so you know when parents come in and I say you know that's tough news to hear that you know if you want to help your kid this is what you have to do and they're like well yeah that's all they eat though and gluten and dairy and I hear it all the time it's not just autistic kids as you say yeah so basically um if, if I say you have to take them off gluten dairy and they, they say we can't do both because they won't have anything to eat. I'll say, yeah. okay, here's the deal. Take them off the gluten first and then come back in a week or two and tell me what happens. <laughs> Cause yeah. here's the, here's the deal. If they can't do both. So they take them off the gluten and the dairy consumption will just go through the roof because they're right. just compensating for a different drug essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. So that becomes very clear to the parents, you know, that there is an issue, you know, so, like there is a food addiction. And in order to break that, um, parents have to, it's kind of like a tough love thing sometimes where you just have to go, okay, here's the deal. This is what you get to eat. Uh, it's not medically necessary. And we're going to do this as a family. So yeah it becomes a little easier. And this isn't just for children. This is for adults too. Yeah. Because, <laughs> totally. <laughs> but your taste buds will change. They're, yeah. the, once you detox from these foods that are narcotizing our bodies and your brain and your microbiome changes, your taste buds will change. And then the food, the natural food, <laughs> whatever natural food means, uh, but fruits and vegetables, meat, fish, eggs, nuts and berries begin to taste better, even yes. just by themselves. And we become more, um, you know, like we crave fat more and we crave bitter more foods that are like cranberry juice and, you know, tart, mm -hmm. uh, because that's naturally what we should be doing it's not the sugar thing that everybody thinks that we have to have it's the microbiome we're feeding our microbiome all of the time and they actually get to dictate a lot of what we eat they tell our brain what we they think we should eat based on what they need to eat so until we switch uh, and shift those ecological systems within our intestines then um you know we think it's impossible to change but and i love I love that, that we were born, that how you just said, like, we're like born to eat those things. Cause I think that's yes. so, when we remember that, like that all we're doing is like undo it, like basically yes. messed up what we were supposed to do. And now we're just getting back. Yeah. So, like, we totally went down the wrong road. Based yeah. on, you know, our culture, medical advice, um, yeah, advertisements. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Food I always, science. Because my background <laughs> is in design. Like I'll, I'll never forget studying in school about milk. Cause I mean, it was basically a really big advertising campaign. At some sure. Point. And then it sort of took off as the thing that was going to do our body good. <laughs> right. You know, right. Like, but everything's really better with cheese on it. <laughs> <laughs> and drink, and you know, drink your milk. So I feel like, like drinking milk, like we all of a sudden it became a drink and, and it's, it's really filling. So it must have, you know, it just must have added to the obesity problem and so many other things as we started to drink milk. 
Yeah. Plus it's, yeah. Hor- you know, the hormones in the milk that the cows are given cause yeah. obesity. And, oh, it's just, it's a really tangled web of the food production industry in this country. It's amazing. Yeah. So stepping back from that, moving back to, you know, get where you get your, knowing where you get your food from, knowing where your food comes from or growing your own food um, is really what's going to save us Yeah. because every generation is getting sicker and yeah. we, I already see it. I'm sure you do too, but yeah. every generation is sicker and, to, and it's going to take us several generations to undo some of the damage that we've already done epigenetically. Yes. And it's interesting because it's interesting because it is passed on like that. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And the and the thing that was a big lesson for me was just the time that it actually takes. Because I feel like you know we've been led that everything should take be so fast, and you know it's even like yeah. a healthy minute and four minutes or less. You know if you're sitting right. in the store aisle, that's what you're reading on the headlines, and it's like no, actually it might take a little longer, and that's okay because. Yep. That's, you know, it's faster than our great grandmothers had it for sure, because we can get to the store faster and we can, you know, there are things that have been made so much easier. Um, but it just, it does yeah, take what it takes. It doesn't have to be hard, but. No, oh yeah. So getting back to that, um, you know, we shop all every other day for fresh fruits and veggies and things like that. But just cutting things up. I work 12, 14, 16 hours a day, or, yeah. you know, I make sure I play softball and I do these things, but I still, when I get home, I cook dinner and it's usually just cutting things up, sauteing them or grilling them or, and it takes 10 or 15 minutes. It doesn't take a lot of time to actually deal with fresh fruits and yeah. vegetables no, it doesn't. <laughs> uh, or putting anything in the Instapot. Instapot. Yeah, no, and it's why oh. actually we do the, I mean, that's why I focus on planning. Cause what I realized a while back um, is that it's really the thinking about what's for dinner that takes actually the most time, you know, oh, like yeah. it's our own, it's that, it's that moment of being scared because we're in a change and it's not quite easy yet. And we like all these things go through our head of making it harder than it is. And it's really that time that it's that that takes time, not sauteing the veggies. Right. If we just went into action whenever we went in the kitchen and just started chopping, I think we'd be better. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. And if you just have your staples on hand, you know, the few things that you, olive oil and salt and pepper and some seasoning and your basic things, if you always have those on hand, then it makes everything so much easier. Yeah. So we've talked about celiac and autism. Is there anything else like we, oh, yeah. that we should know about <laughs> in terms of like that this could really help? Like if we tried to take out, I, mean, I guess we talked about eczema too. Um, are there any other big things that are going around that, you know, this is really would help us focused on eliminating? Oh, focus on eliminating. Um, well, I mean, like, like if we eliminate gluten and dairy, it's good for other, like what other? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, diabetes. Let's okay. touch on diabetes because it's estimated by the CDC that 50% of the population will either have type 1 or type 2 diabetes within a few years. So we used to tell diabetics as medical people, as nurses and everything else to eat whole foods. Okay. And that's basically a paleo diet. And at some point it shifted to counting calories. And we used to oh. bemoan people that did that. And you say, oh, they're just you know, upping their insulin so that they can have chocolate cake or something. And they really shouldn't be doing that for all of these reasons. But now we tell people just eat the chocolate cake and just up your insulin. It's fine. Eat whatever you want. Mm. And that's very, very bad information. Um, And it comes from diabetic educators and doctors and everybody else. And I, it, this is one thing that a lot of people do not know is that every type one diabetic, a hundred percent, and I will say maybe it's 99 point something, uh, of type one diabetics are DQ2 and or DQ8 gene carriers. So the genetic over... Will you tell us what that is quick? Cause you've mentioned that a couple of times. So those are the two main know. genes that predispose people for celiac and okay. people think that they're rare genes, but they're not. It's okay. 30 to 50% of the population. So Got they're it. very common. Okay. So if you have a type 1 diabetic in your family, you 
have these genes floating about. And every type one diabetic is at risk for developing celiac disease. And which one comes first, the chicken or the egg? And I think as we do more studies, uh, there's a, some resistance to this, but the more we study things like MS and lupus and Sjogren's and, and any other autoimmune disease, mm-hmm. the genetic overlap is there, especially with MS. Interesting. So, yeah. And the fact that celiac disease is primarily neurologic, mm-hmm. that uh, it's primarily not gastrointestinal, but keeping in mind that we have an entire nervous system in our intestines called the enteric nervous system, it's really important for people to understand that like constipation is not a lack of fiber and water. It is a neurologic issue. So, yeah. So if we approach things differently, if we really look at the underlying cause of things, we have to look at the food because, you know, Crohn's, colitis, all of those GI issues are on the rise. Yep. Okay, and and type 1 diabetes, is that that just genetic? And then type 2 is sort of what we're causing by the overload of sugar? Correct. Okay. But there's a lot of overlap at this point in history. Okay. Okay. So type 2 diabetics are very quickly becoming type 1 diabetics at any age. It used to be considered a juvenile onset diabetes, but that's not the case anymore. Okay. And, but, and is what, is what they, is what those two types of diabetes eat? So you're saying it should be more similar. Cause I feel like type two diabetes people, it's more diet focused, but type one, I hear a lot more of what you're saying. Oh yeah. Uh, like, you know, like I'm going to eat macaroni and cheese and then, you know, I have a pump on me. Oh yeah. Yep. 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 Okay. So yes. You know, overall going back to a whole food diet or some type of, uh, non-sugar, just whole foods, non-processed foods, mm-hmm. it's going to be better for everyone universally, worldwide. Um, and as we see this as other cultures change their diet to look more like ours, <laughs> unfortunately, they're becoming more like us uh, health-wise. Yep. And so as soon as we can get this information out to people and they can make these decisions based on information that's accurate, then they yeah. can say, you know, I don't want to go blind. I don't want to be a di- diabetic who loses their kidneys and their sight and they, you know, start losing limbs. I want to be proactive and preventative. Yes. And I think that's the hardest. I think that's the hardest thing for some reason for us as human beings. Like it's hard to even imagine, like, why would we think about diabetes if we don't have diabetes? You know what I mean? Oh, like, or yeah. why would we think about X? Like, I think that's the hardest I don't know what that, like the psychology behind that is, but it's just so much, seems so much easy, easier for us, you know, pop a pill when it happens, but it's really hard for us to take responsibility, you know, 10 years out. We're conditioned yeah. as a culture to take a pill. Well, you know, every third advertisement on TV is why I don't have TV. One of the reasons, but um, is a pharmaceutical. So yeah we're conditioned and people are brainwashed with these ideas that there is a pill that'll fix everything. And no, there's not. I'll tell you as a nurse, yeah. <laughs> I, I had to step back and rethink everything that I'd learned, everything I thought I knew about medicine and food and approach it completely differently at this point. All right. I have one more question for you and sure. then we'll wrap it up. I'll let you go. But, um, and, but, but before I dive into that question, I just want to, pull out that gem you just shared because one of the moves that I realize I'm realizing later in life was really smart with raising kids is we did that. We threw away the TV. Oh yeah. So we're just now as I I have two, I have a tween and a teen and just now Uh like the technology is coming into our house with computers, but I really do think that helped us eat well. (laughs) Because like we never, there was never even the advertisement about a fast food restaurant. So no one ever asked us to take them to one. And of course friends went, but it's just different. So anyway. Oh yeah. And you know what? The other thing is, is that we would have, you know, we did a shift too with the kids and my kids are older now, Mm -hmm. but when I found out my daughter was 10 and we shifted birthday parties and everything else. And we focused on whole food, you know, we would put out platters of fruits and vegetables instead of this, what we would have done, which was pizza and chips and soda and all that stuff 
way long time ago. And then uh, once we did that, we realized that these kids were essentially starving. Like they were hungry yes. for those fruits and vegetables. And I had one, one of Hannah's friends would come over and just like, can I have some of your kale salad? <laughs> you know, and so you could tell that these kids were just hungry for not what their parents were like, here's a bag of, you know, something I just went through the drive through but they were hungry for real food. Yeah, no, I found the exact same thing. And I know it's harder when you're the parents, like, yes, trying to make the change, like, so it all sounds, you know, it all feels better to go I all the time, I get the comments of my daughter would never eat that at my house. Um, <sighs> but it's so true. It's so true. When you really watch that in action, hopefully that's motivating. Oh, yeah. And I think some of that comes from the parents themselves not wanting to change yeah. <laughs> is what I think. Or, or feeling like, I mean, we've talked a lot here about just feeling like we're depriving our kids because we too have been programmed that these things equal childhood, right? Like pizza, right. childhood, birthday parties equal childhood, you know? So it's like, but that's not really true. No, right? not at all. Remember childhood. Yeah. <laughs> I yes. have many foggy birthday parties because birthday parties are when all the gluten came out and it's full force. Yep. I don't remember. Oh yeah. Sugar right. bombs too. <laughs> <laughs> My last question that I wanted to ask you, because I think you'll have a really good answer to this. But for those of us who, you know, do walk into, you know, obviously we have to bring our kids to their yearly checkup and, you know, a child might get sick from time to time. Like how, what is the best way to talk, like when, when there's a doctor or nurse or somebody really not understanding, and we've already, as a parent, made a commitment that we want food to play an important role in health. Sure. Like, do you have any recommendations for how to talk to health professionals in a way that you feel like you're getting what you need? Cause I feel, I get the question a lot of just feeling unsure after leaving a doctor's office cause you've done all this research, but then we just have this thing that doctors and nurses know best. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, so like yeah. how, how, what do you, how do you, what, what do you recommend for people in that situation? Except we wish we all lived in Oregon and could come see you, but <laughs> Oh, I do phone consultations for people all over, just so you know that. Um, okay. Uh, so it is difficult sometimes, even for myself, to mm. really, you know, I either interview healthcare providers before I go see them, or once I go in and I see, and see them and I realize that it's not a good fit, like they're, they don't hear me or they don't, I'll fire them. <laughs> I'll find out, I'll find people that do understand. And there's a really great website. It's called uh, primaldocs.com. Primaldocs.com. It's people that, healthcare providers, doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, PAs, chiropractors, doesn't matter, naturopaths, um, people that understand functional or integrative medicine. There's a huge shift that's happening. Mm -hmm. And finding those practitioners that actually want to deal with the underlying cause, that understand about food, that have uh, really taken the extra time to be educated about healing the body as opposed mm -hmm. to just throwing prescription medications at it. Those are the, those are the providers you really do want to find. You know, there is yeah. a paradigm shift and, and doctors are switching yeah. or they're, but you have to find them and you have to find people that align with what your goals are health wise, yeah. mm -hmm. because otherwise don't bother. You know, there's really no reason for them to get paid and for you to waste your time seeing them if they're not going to be able to help you. Got it. That's my professional opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like, and I think that it's, it's like, you know, it's funny because even myself, I've been, <laughs> I've been trying to find a primary care doctor for a couple years and I just live in a very saturated town, city. Yes. It's hard. It is hard to, it's hard to find someone who has appointments, much less find somebody who has appointments who you want to see. Um, you know, yes. and so I, I've just sort of taken my health into my own hands, which I don't necessarily recommend for everybody. But, you know, we, if we have kids, whatever, and obviously, you know, sometimes we take better care of them than we do of ourselves. Um, it, it's, it's challenging sometimes to walk into a doctor's office. And so it's, I think it's good to know that you can ask questions and that just knowing oh, that you're yes. the bot, like you're the one who knows best, right? right. About your own body. And someday your kids will be the ones who know the best about their body. Right. 
And we do know the best about our bodies. We've given them away to a certain extent to the doctors and say, yeah. you know, because a lot of people don't even have access to their lab work or, you know, nobody to really review things with them. I hear a lot of people say, you know, I go see my doctor. He doesn't even touch me, he or she. Um, they, you know, they do a cursory exam and they don't listen to me. It takes seven minutes. And then I get blood drawn, but I never hear back from the doctor and I assume everything's okay, but I don't really know. Yeah. That's, that's a horrible way to approach healthcare. Yeah. And <laughs> the doctors get paid no matter what. And this is one of my big bones of contention is that the healthcare providers get paid whether they do a good job or not. Yeah. So um, I want all of us to have access to excellent healthcare providers that will work with us to have the, the to optimize our health. Yeah. And if someone listening is thinking, I want, I should go get tested for celiac, what is the best thing to ask for? A full celiac panel, not just a piece or a part of it. And also I highly recommend people get genetically tested. Okay. And I you can order that. that times. Yeah. You could do that yourself. You can order that online through Enterolab or glutenpro.com. Any doctor can order it, but they don't know how to interpret it. <laughs> so that's the okay. other problem. It's a knowledge <laughs> deficit, but um, you know, that's a, just really great information to have. And okay. I explain why in my book. Awesome. Donation. And I also do a podcast. So there's lots of information on there about the testing. And okay. if anybody wants the recommended lab test, I will happily email that to them if they send me an email. Awesome. So that's the perfect lead into how do we get in touch with you? Oh. That's the best way. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of, I think. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Okay. I'm trademarked as the great gluten-free RN. Okay. And so there's my website, which is www.glutenfreern.com. And my email is nadine at glutenfreern.com. Awesome. And we'll yes. put both of those in the show notes so everybody can... Perfect. Get in touch. And I was flipping through the podcast this morning. So there's lots of them. Lots oh, of yeah. for everybody. And maybe actually in the show notes, we'll put the one about testing so you guys can find that easily. Okay, good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This was informative thank and you, fun. Mia. Yes, this was great, Mia. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. I hope that you loved that episode. I love getting the facts and I love getting the facts from nurses. I don't know. I feel like nurses are some of my favorite people because they really are such a wealth of information and they're so well connected to our medical system, which can work in our favor, but can also make all this food stuff harder because I find that even my most well-meaning, kindest doctors, they just didn't learn all this stuff about food. It's really new that we're realizing how stacked against us our food system has been. All right, so at the end of every episode, I share three doable changes so you can go off and make real headway in your healthy, well life. So I share three things, but I recommend that you choose one. You choose one a week. So if you're dying to try all three of them, just commit to one for this week, put the other one in for the following week, and the next one for the week after that. All right, one thing at a time. It really does make for lifelong habits when we do it this way. So at the end of every podcast, I share three doable changes over on the Plan Simple Meals website. If you go to plansimplemeals.com slash 101, you can actually download 101 doable changes that I created before I started interviewing all these wonderful people. And there are so many great ideas that come up in these podcasts. So at the end of every podcast, I always choose three doable changes in hopes that you will pick one and play with it this week. So the idea is that you choose one, you commit to it, you schedule it in your calendar. That's really important. Put tasks in your calendar around it and have fun with it. Experiment and make it something that really can work in your life. All right, here's the three from this episode. Number one, experiment with gluten-free. You know I love this one. The idea of giving up pizza and beer or pasta and bread forever put some of us into a panic, but just try going gluten-free for one week. Focus on real foods, lots of fruits, veggies, and protein, and just see how it feels. 
Notice when you're craving certain foods and how you feel without them. And just really play detective on this one. I would definitely have a notepad out so you can see where your sort of holes are in the system and stock up on stuff like gluten-free energy bars. We have lots of recipes over on the plansimplemeals.com website of healthy snacks. Smoothies are a great way to satisfy cravings during this time. But notice, because many people after seven days feel more amazing, more energy, more productive than they have felt in a long, long time. So this is one I highly recommend everybody experimenting with. For me, it's now been eight years. I feel amazing. I actually can't have gluten because I figured out in trying to take it out that I am not meant to have gluten. But it's really something that affects everyone. So try it out. That's one of my favorite doable changes. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out because we love, love, love helping you make this change. Number two, know where your food comes from. So just start with this one thing. Go to farmer's markets or farm stands and talk to the people who grew your food. It's a great time of year to do this. Research and join a CSA. And don't be afraid to ask lots and lots of questions about how things are produced. You can ask questions at your grocery store. You can call people forward who might be behind the scenes working and ask them questions. And if people don't know the answer to your questions, that's a good sign that what you're eating might be too complicated or too far from the source. And you can start to feel a little bit uncomfortable about eating those things and it will really help you clean up your diet. And if you do this in front of your kids, it is like an education like no other because I promise they will start asking questions too. So number one, experiment with gluten-free. Number two, know where your food comes from. And number three, take 15 minutes to prep. Take 15 minutes to prep something or move something forward so that you can eat a real food meal. It doesn't have to be hard to eat well, but sometimes part of the learning process is getting over the idea that it is hard. I find that if you choose these 15 minutes at a time when you're not starving, you don't have kids pulling at you, and you're not stressed to get a meal on the table, it really makes a big difference. So this could look like chopping a carrot or an onion in the morning and covering it up so that at dinner... All you have to do is cook the food or toss it together. It could mean soaking beans. It could mean have something to do with organizing your fridge or washing or chopping. But the less you have to do in the moment of needing to have the meal or someone else really needing to have the meal who's by your side, the easier it is to make eating healthy easy. Because it really is, it doesn't have to be hard. It can feel complicated, but it doesn't have to be. And 15 minutes of prep really helps. So schedule that in your calendar. Make it happen for a week and see what that does to your stress level around mealtime. All right, you guys, those are my three doable changes for today. Again, you can go download all 101 at plansimplemeals.com slash 101. But again, I remind you only pick one thing for this week. If you are loving what you are hearing on the Plan Simple Meals podcast, or I guess even if you're not, but especially if you're loving it, I would love for you to go review it over on iTunes. The more reviews we get, the better more people can find us. So iTunes is based on numbers, unfortunately. And so the more people who can find us, the more people who reach us, the better that we can do and the better quality interviewers we can get here for you. So it makes a big, big difference. So if you have a moment while you're waiting for your kids or, you know, you're just hopping around your phone on social media, take the time, go over to iTunes and leave that review. I will be so, so, so grateful. All right. Thank you so much, and I will see you on the next episode of the Plan Simple Podcast. Bye for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Plan Simple Podcast. If you loved what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend. And if you really loved what you heard, if you want to go onto iTunes and subscribe, rate, and review, that really helps us get the best guests we can and improve the podcast so that we're serving up exactly what you want to hear. I will see you 
on the next episode of the Plan Simple Podcast. Bye for now.